your Bibles this evening to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I don't know about you guys, but I've been battling these allergies. Um, I'm over-medicated. <laughs> my knees are very shaky and uh, arthritis, and my knees are... I thought about if I need to sit down, I, could, I couldn't get up there, and then if I got up, I couldn't get back down. <laughs> and so... If something would happen and I break out speaking in tongues, it's because I'm over-medicated. <laughs> Acts chapter 1. The, the book of Luke and Acts are a two-volume set on the origin of, of Christianity. Of course, Luke is, is the author. For instance, the book of Acts records what Jesus began to do and teach in his human body. However, the, the book of Acts tells us what Jesus continued to do and teach through his spiritual body, the church. So, the book of Acts is the account of the Holy Spirit working and th in and through the church. Tonight, I want to briefly take a, a few minutes and, and teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And to do that, I'm going to have to deal with two or three, two or three eschatological events in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And so, uh, stay with me if you would. Acts chapter 1, look at verse number 4. The Bible says, "...and being assembled together with them." He commanded them, speaking of Jesus, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, capital P, the promise of the Father, which he said, Jesus speaking, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized or immersed with water, but you shall be immersed or baptized with the Holy Spirit. When? Not many days from now. So, st stay with me tonight. Use your Bible. Uh, take take some, some notes, and, and we'll look at a few major events as we look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask you for the Holy Spirit to give us physical strength. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual insight. Lord, help us to see how clear this is in your word. Lord, help us to systematically present the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So much confusion reigns. And I pray, oh God, that we would see it clearly as it's laid out in this chapter, in Acts chapter 2. So, Lord Jesus, we, we pray for the Holy Spirit. We depend on the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds as we work through the passage. Father, we, we've done the work of hermeneutics to, to bring an interpretation. Now, Lord, we ask you to do your work of illumination, shine light upon your scripture that we might understand this great, great truth from the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray. 
amen, and amen. Notice the first major event that's mentioned in this passage is the ascension. Look at verse number 1. In, in fact, in Acts chapter 1, the ascension is mentioned four times. If you don't understand the ascension, you're not going to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So look at verse number 1. The former account I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, notice time element, until the day in which he was taken up. Underline that phrase. He was taken up. That's a reference to the ascension. Go down to verse number 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, underline it, he was taken up. That's the ascension. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said, Men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? Notice, underline it, this same Jesus who was taken up. There's the third time. Who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jump down to chapter 1, verse, verse 22. Go to verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was, here it is again, he was taken up from us. And he, he's talking about the re-election of a new apostle. Keep in mind, hermeneutics, sandwiched in between his dissension or his disappearance, his ascension, and his reappearing is what we call the parousia or the second coming of Christ. And there is a mystery. There is an interlude. Therefore, we have, we have a great, great controversy. If you don't get down and understand when the ascension took place and what happened between in his return then you're not going to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first major event you have to understand is the ascension. Why? But because from the disappearance to the reappearance, there's an, there's an intermediary state. There's a, a, a marginal state. There's a time period that's lapsed there. And if you don't interpret the Bible, you're not going to know what's going to happen in between the disappearance and the reappearance. Now, the apostles, they actually got it wrong. They thought that it was the kingdom. Well, it, is, it, is it the kingdom? Well, that leads me to say the second major event mentioned in this passage is the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says that Jesus was speaking to them. He, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, having been seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Underline that phrase, to the kingdom of God. But then, in between 
verses 3 and 6, Jesus intersects this passage and he inserts a pause, an interlude, a parenthesis, or intercolation. That's what the old scholars of yesterday called this time of parenthesis. Look at verse number four. Verse number four. So they're, they're wanting to talk about the, the kingdom of God. Verse number four. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized, immersed with water, but you shall be baptized or immersed with the Holy Spirit. Notice, not many days hence or not many days from now. Now look at me. Everything Jesus said in verses 4 and 5 went just like this with the disciples. They didn't get it. They were still thinking kingdom. They're not thinking about the promise and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're still thinking kingdom. Look at verse number 6. It's pretty clear. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, picture, they're, they're rubbing their hands, and Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, wait, 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 wait a minute, guys. He, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. Some translate that word seasons, dates. It, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. However, and now he gives verse 8, however, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, future tense. Now look, one thing's obvious in verse number 6. The kingdom isn't coming now in chapter 1, verse 6. There's an interlude. There's a pause. There's a parenthesis. But instead, what are they commanded? To wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And he gave the prophecy of the future coming of the Holy Spirit in verses 4 and 5. So, so we have a time period. I call it an, an interlude, a, a parenthesis. Not the kingdom, but the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's also called the church the church age. Instead of kingdom power, they were going to receive Holy Spirit power to be witnesses. I don't have the time tonight. I would just love to take you through some passages in the New Testament and show you the Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees rejected the king. They rejected the kingdom. In fact, if you look at chapter 7, I won't have you turn there, but the Bible says the scribes and Pharisees rejected the will of God. And they were not baptized, the Scripture says. You can go to the parable of the pounds. You remember they were in Jerusalem. The disciples were all excited. Man, they were excited. They thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Why did Jesus give that parable? Because Zacchaeus just got saved, he told them in verse 10, 
Guys, the Son of Man's come to seek and save that which was lost. But they totally missed it. Completely missed it. They were all excited about the kingdom. What, what was the parable of the pounds? Jesus said, occupy till I come. Be busy trading, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I can't give you anything else on, on, the, on the kingdom. So Christ, he, he's not going to restore the kingdom at this time in Acts 3 and 6. But we had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We call this the church age. Now, the, the third thing I want you to notice is the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In, in verse number four, I want you to take your highlighter. Fred, you got your highlighter tonight? Get your highlighter out. Underline the phrase, guys, don't, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise. Capital P, the promise of the Father. This is Jesus speaking. You've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you shall be immersed or baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So th th there is a baptism. This has nothing to do with water baptism. You all understand that, don't you? Don't think water baptism every time you see the word baptism. He's not talking water baptism. He's talking about an immersion with the Holy Spirit, and it's still in the future. Underline the last phrase of verse number five. Not many days from now. Had the promise come? No. They were told to wait for the promise. Don't you leave. The promise is coming. The baptism of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, the church age, is coming. That gap, that interlude between three and verse number six is the church age. He says, guys, it's coming not many days from now. So, so the command is, is to wait. Here's the problem. We're all Baptists. We forget that the Holy Spirit had not yet come in Acts chapter one. We understand the virgin birth, and we have the understanding of when Jesus came. But we don't have a real good handle on the third person of the Trinity when the Holy Spirit came. He hasn't come yet. Did you know the Bible speaks of this, speaks to this, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's intense. It's, it's multiple places in the Bible. The Holy Spirit had not come yet. Look back to the Gospel of John chapter 7. You got to get this. If you're going to understand what's going on, you, you've got to understand that they were told to wait. The Holy Spirit had not come yet. John chapter 7. This is just one verse. I could, I could give you multiple verses on this. Verse number 37. John 7, verse 37, on the last day, that great, great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has says, said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Underline verse 39. But this he spoke 
concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him, future tense, would receive. Why? For the Holy Spirit was not given yet. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus had not ascended to the Father. Jesus had to ascend to the Father. He had to die on the cross. He had to be resurrected. He had to ascend to the Father. Now, notice the fourth major event in the context of this, of this passage is the promise is fulfilled. The Holy Spirit does come on the day of Pentecost. Do you know the Bible speaks so explicit? It's so clear. I don't see how anybody, I don't, I don't see how you could miss it. Uh, for instance, in the last part of verse 5, it tells us spirit baptism will happen when? Not many days from now. So this, this promise was to be fulfilled approximately, are you listening? You can even count it down. Even 10 days later on to the, the, the day of Pentecost, Jesus died on the Passover. Pentecost, 50 days, all Jewish. Jesus was with them 40 days. Not many days from now, this promise is going to be fulfilled on Pentecost, which is looking back, it had to be 10 days. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1. Please just take the Bible in a literal, historical interpretation. How people can get the things out of the, the Bible, I have no idea how they do it. Here, here, here's what we're looking for. We're looking for sight, sounds, speech, signs. Look at it, verse number one. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and all of a sudden there came a sound. Circle the word sound from heaven. What was this sound? It was like a rushing mighty wind. Literally a blasting mighty wind of hurricane force. They didn't see it, but they heard this sound. And the Bible says it filled the whole house where they were sitting, verse 3, and there appeared, that's that sight, circle the word appear. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set up on them. Verse 4, here it is, the fulfillment of the promise. By the way, there's further, further proof in this chapter where this promise is fulfilled. The Bible says in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other glossa languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. When Peter preached his sermon, men of Israel, men of Israel, men of Israel, the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. And for a Gentile church to name their, you know, to name their denomination Pentecostal is absolutely ridiculous. Now, you could call it the House of Cornelius. You could name your, your denomination the House of Cornelius. But to, to name it Pentecost? Uh-uh. Unless you're a Jew, right? So the, these are, are, are Jews. In verse 5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation. 
Here it is, verse 6, circle this word. When this sound occurred, this rushing blast, hurricane force winds occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused because everyone heard, circle the word heard. They heard them speak in their, what's that next word? In their own language or own dialect. They understood what was being said. It wasn't a jibber-jabberish. It wasn't a man crawling on his knees, barking like a dog. Have you ever saw any of those things where people say they've been slain in the spirit and they roll on the floor? Well, the, the Bible says everyone heard them speak in his own language. Verse 7, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, here it is, this is the key. Look, are not all these who speak? What were their nationalities? These ones speaking these different dialects. They were Galileans. Question, verse 8, how is it that we hear and discern and understand each in our own language in which we were born? And then he goes and he begins to the east and works to the west, Parthenians and so forth. Verse 10, Pergama, Pamphylia, adjoining visitors from Rome. Notice, both Jews and proselytes. Verse 11, Cretans, Arabs. We, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, our own languages, the wonderful works of God. Did, did you know the early church fathers... Uh, they didn't, uh, they didn't get confused on the day of Pentecost. You, you can actually read the early church fathers, and they tell us on the day of Pentecost, they say that the curse of the Tower of Babel was actually reversed. Why? Because at Babel, human languages were confused, and the nations were scattered. It's kind of interesting thought. However, on Pentecost, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome as a sign that the nations would be gathered in Christ. So I thought that's, that's, that's pretty cool. So here we have the promise of Acts 1, 4, and 5, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, go to chapter 2, verse 33. Verse 33 absolutely tells us this prophecy was fulfilled. Stay with me. And in a few minutes, I'm going to preach a little bit to you. Look at verse 33. Therefore, being exalted, this is Peter's sermon, to the right hand of God, underline this, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise. Go real quick, go, go back to Acts chapter one and verse number 11. Go all the way back, Acts chapter one, verse 11. Notice this phrase, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. Okay, draw a line in your Bible straight down, straight down after the word heaven. Here's an interlude. Number two, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. 
You have the ascension, and then you have the parousia. In between this time is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the church age. And it's right here in the Bible and how people want to, you know, misinterpret the Bible and get all emotional and take away from the Bible something that's, that's not there. I, I don't have the time tonight to, to give you the seven places where the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred. I, I don't, there's only seven passages. Five of them were prophetical. John the Baptist four times. Jesus one time in Acts 1, 4, and 5. So that's five prophetical. One was historical. You remember in Acts chapter 11, verse 16, Peter reported to the church what happened at the house of Cornelius. The same thing that happened to us happened to them. Thank God the Gentiles got in. This middle wall of partition was broken down. There's one body, the church, because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We call this the church age. Well, the final reference is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It's, it's a doctrinal passage where we all were baptized the moment we're saved by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Now, in, in, in closing, I want to give you four facts about spirit baptism. Just, just kind of sum it up, and then I want to preach to you for two or three minutes. I want to yell it a little bit. Fact number one, write this down. On the day of Pentecost, the church was born. The baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred. Believers are baptized, immersed, placed in the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. We're not in the kingdom. I'm millennialist. You want to spiritualize, spiritualize anything and say that the church began in Genesis 3.15? And I say what they say on SportsCenter. It's a great theological truth. Come on, man. <laughs> Fact number two, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the New Testament church, it happens simultaneously. Think about it. We're, we're in the church age. The period between the ascension and the parousia, it's the, the church age. That's, that's where we are. Now, let, let me give you a special note because people are confused about this. Here, here's, the, here's a special note. Did, did you know you can't have a church without the Holy Spirit? Impossible. I mean, the Holy Spirit places you in his body. And if you have a body without the Spirit, you have a corpse you don't have a church. You have to have the Holy Spirit who baptizes us, who places us in the body of Christ. Fact number four, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to indwell the believer permanently. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on Saul, left Saul. Came on Samuel, left Samuel. Came on Samson, left Samson. In the New Testament, when you and I get saved, we are baptized in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He promised he would not leave us as orphans, but I will come to you. That's the Holy Spirit. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit within us. 
So let me give you some preaching points. Let's kind of make this theological discussion practical. Point number one, think with me. I know this is hard to do in American culture, but, but think. Just think with me. The same Holy Spirit who produced the miraculous virgin birth of Christ gave birth to the New Testament church, the body of Christ. You say, Tim, what's, what's your point? Be loyal to Christ and his church. Look, I would never minimize the virgin birth of Christ. It was a miracle. But the same Holy Spirit that produced the virgin birth gave birth to the New Testament church. But yet we walk around and we talk about the church that we can take it or, or leave it. But the truth of the matter is, that's not what the Bible teaches. We ought to be loyal to the church. Preaching point number one. Preaching point number two. It, it, it gets a little better. Write this down. Did you know the Holy Spirit and the church is biblical separation? Don't look at me like that. The Holy Spirit and the church is biblical separation. I don't belong to them. I belong to him. Amen? The Holy Spirit and the church is my biblical separation. That's why I gather with the church. I come out from among them and gather with the people of God. Hey, this is my team. How'd you say it? You spoke in tongues. There's no place like this place, that place. This. That's true. It's true. I say amen. Amen. Do you know what Exodus 23 says? It, it, it says, look, don't, don't you make any covenant with them. Don't you worship their idols. Why? Because the Holy Spirit and the church is my biblical separation. I belong to him. Now, now, listen to me. You ought to feel out of place out there. Say hallelujah. Come on. Look, you ought to feel out of place out there. And if you want to stay out there and not come out from among them and be with the people of God, something is wrong. Something is terribly wrong. Say amen. The Holy Spirit and the church is my biblical separation. You're not going to fit in over there. Point number three. Oh, this is a good one. Point number three. The Holy Spirit will never lead you away from the local church. Never. Never, 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 never. The Holy Spirit will never lead you away from the local church. Write this down. Let church be your excuse to miss everything else. Why? Because you don't belong to them. You belong to him. This is where the joy is in the house of the Lord. Well, we have every excuse in the world. I had a lady one time tell me she dyed her hair, and when her hair turned to original color, 
then she would come back to church. I said, lady, if that was true, there, there wouldn't be a woman in church. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will never lead you away from the local church. Point number four, write this down. Write it down. Anything that competes with Christ and his church is an idol. Anything that competes with Christ and his church. He loves his church. He died for his church. He's building his church. But I, I want to see a, you know, we're, we're seeing people propagate this churchless Christianity. No such thing in the Bible. No such thing. Well, I don't want to come. Well, I is your idol. Well, I don't like the music. I don't want this. I, anything that competes with Christ and his church is an idol. Point number five, and we'll, we'll stop. I got two minutes. The purpose of the church is to get you rapture ready. You remember what Jesus told the disciples in verse number 11? He said, guys, stop gazing Start witnessing. Why are you standing here gazing? Look, the ascension and the second coming in between it is the church age, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Go and witness of my resurrection. Write this down in closing. Here, here's, here's what I said to you tonight. This is, this is what I said to you. You might be a little confused, but here's, here's what I said to you. Very easy. Teach it to your children. Christ went up. That's the ascension. The Holy Spirit came down. The church was sent out. Christ is coming back. Now listen to me. If you get these eschatological events confused... You're going to be as confused as a termite in a yo-yo. Yeah, you're going to be really, really confused.